Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Our service this morning is being led by our Minister Katrina, and as always, everything we need to follow the service is both on the screen and on our printed order of service. Please stay, if you can, for some tea or coffee at the end of the service. Um, a huge thank you to everyone who's already contributed to our Christian Aid Appeal um, for help with maternal and neonatal care in Sierra Leone. Um, last when I was coming to church this morning, it was bucketing. Well, it wasn't bucketing with rain. It just stopped bucketing with rain. Uh, when I was just doing vestry prayers in the corner, it was a blue sky. It's one of those days, isn't it, where it's just going to change every five minutes and who knows what it's going to be like. But it's great to be back here this Sunday. It's great to have Marit and Tom with us. Um, as some of you will know, I was up in Drumna Rocket, or just away from Drumna Rocket last weekend, celebrating with them. So it's great to have you with us. Our call to worship comes from the Gospel of John and chapter 14. Jesus, knowing his time with them was nearing its end, spoke to his friends and said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. I have to confess that our opening hymn this morning is pure self-indulgence. When I was very little and going to a Methodist Sunday school, this was one of the few hymn tunes that the lady that played the piano could play. So we sang it an awful lot. But it's a really great hymn of praise and perhaps appropriate as we begin to think about the ascension of Christ. So if you're able, you're invited to stand as we sing together at the name of Jesus.
think Mrs. Morton would have been proud of you. And so we are going to come to God in prayer. And as is our usual practice, after I've guided us through prayer, we are invited to join in the words of the Lord's Prayer in the version language form that feels the most normal and natural for us. Or simply just to sit quietly if you prefer that. So let us pray together. Holy and life-giving God, as we gather together, we seek to become aware of your presence around us and within us, to offer our prayers and to listen for your voice. We didn't think about waking up this morning. It just happened. And we found ourselves with the gift of a new day to live. We didn't stop to wonder before we stepped into the shower or chose the clothes we would wear. We absent-mindedly filled the kettle or opened the fridge, made tea or coffee, poured juice, ate breakfast. In the ordinary, everyday, taken-for-grantedness, you bless us so richly. Help us to be grateful. We didn't know how our week would work out. And now, as we think back over these past few days, we offer our thoughts to you. We thank you for the things that went well, new things that we learned, challenges we met. We offer to you the struggles or disappointments, things that went wrong, or that made us sad. We ask you to help us to let go of anything that holds us back, perhaps regret or anger, perhaps bitterness, maybe overthinking, possibly putting down ourselves or others. In the messiness and the marvel of everyday life, you bless us so richly. Please help us to be grateful. We don't know what this new day, what this new week will bring. We can be reasonably confident that the everyday routines will continue. We have some ideas about who we will meet and what we will do. We also realize that there may be totally unexpected events, small or large, significant or trivial. And so as we pause at the start of another everyday week, you bless us so richly. Help us to be grateful. Humble Christ, perfect blend of humanity and deity. We bring our prayers in your name, sharing in the words you gave to your followers and saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. This is probably the most foolish thing for me, given my total lack of comic timing. But we're going to start off with some really bad jokes this morning. Really bad jokes where I answer a question, ask a question and you tell me the answer. So they're kind of riddles, I suppose, perhaps, rather than jokes. So first of all, what goes up when the rain comes down? Umbrella, yeah. Absolutely. I would have accepted a hood um, if we were being contemporary, but yep, an umbrella goes up when the rain comes down, and an umbrella goes down when the rain stops. Okay, next one. What goes up and never comes down? You said a, a body and a balloon. Oh, interesting. Ah, it's a more tricky one, this one. Sorry? Oh. 
Sorry, bills. I think, I think you're right there, Anita. Yeah. Bills go up and very, very rarely come down. Anyway, um, the answer is your age. It goes up every year. You never get younger. Not even Bonnie gets younger. We all get older, year on year. Last one. What goes up and down but doesn't move? Clouds. That's a, that's a good thought, Bonnie. It's not the one I was thinking of, but it's a good thought. Thank you. Anybody behind me? The sun? I guess, effectively. That's a very scientific answer, that, Paul. <laughs> Relative to us, anyway, it doesn't move, yeah? Okay. Sorry? A ladder or a staircase. You, you kind of go up and down, but it doesn't move. Okay. Very silly jokes. The reason I've picked those silly jokes is to try and just uh, lighten up what's a really complicated topic because we're just coming up to what is called Ascension Day, the day when we remember Jesus really just going back home, um, but in a strange way. Here is a painting um, that's meant to show us the Ascension. Can anybody see Jesus in this picture? Where is he, Bonnie? Where do you think he is? At the top. How do you know that's Jesus at the top? You're right, but how do you know? That's really good. Is it because he's got holes in his feet? Yeah. Yeah, so you can just see he's got the holes in his feet. There we go. And he's disappearing off, up into the sky. And these are some rather bewildered-looking people down the <coughs> bottom who are his friends. Now, it's a really strange idea, Ascension, and I don't claim to understand it at all. But I like to think it's just Jesus going home. And he went home. Where did, where did Jesus go home to? God. Absolutely, Bonnie. Perfect. Absolutely. He went back home to God. And when he was going home to God, he said some things to his friends, some of them before and some of them on that day. One of them we already heard at the beginning of the service. He said, when I go home to God, I'm going to get everything ready for you so that when you come to be with God, there's somewhere nice for you to live. He also said to them, I've got a job for you all to do. That now I'm going back to God, to God, you've got to carry on doing what I was doing and you've got to love each other, look out for each other, be kind to each other. And he also said one more thing. He said, you'll never, ever be left on your own. You might feel left on your own when I've gone back home to God. But God will give you the Holy Spirit to help you and encourage you. Now, that's another complicated idea that I'm not even going to start on today. But that idea that Jesus goes home and Jesus wants us to carry on the work and Jesus promises to help us from being home with God. So in a way, God's love is a bit like that umbrella, which is always over us. God's love is with us, whether we're tiny weeny or big, whether we're young, whether we're old. And also, God in love gives us the freedom to choose our own direction in life. But he never, ever abandons us, whatever we choose. So I can kind of just about get my corny jokes to connect with what we're thinking about today if I try really, really hard. So we're going to sing a song now that um, I think comes from the Cameroon um, that talks about Jesus coming down that we can 
have love. Thanks, Paul. readings today are both from the New Testament. We begin with Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Here endeth the reading.
When I was growing up, after I'd moved on from the Methodist Church, and by now was part of a United Reformed Church, a bit of a spiritual gypsy me, um, there would come a day, a week each year, when the local rag, the Chronicle and Echo, would carry a report of the Ascension Day service at one of the large Anglican churches in the town centre. It would be a Thursday evening, always a Thursday evening, 40 days after Easter, and the congregation would gather up on the roof of the church and hold a service to mark the mysterious disappearance of Jesus that's recorded in the book of Acts. Now, us in our URC church, our proddy nonconformist church, we didn't bother with any of that. We just carried on doing whatever we were doing week by week, and I haven't got a clue what we were doing week by week because it's such a long time ago. I do, however, remember being mildly amused by these Anglicans that would go up on the roof on a often wet Thursday evening and hold a service. Although ascension is not something I think about a lot, it's good sometimes just to bring it back into our thinking, and, and it seemed a good idea to do that this year. And for anybody who's interested, Ascension Day this year is on Thursday coming, the 30th of May. And I dare say, if you look hard enough, you can find a congregation in Glasgow who will be up on a roof singing hymns and having a service. Who knows? It's fair to say that the events following the arrest and execution of Jesus are shrouded in mystery. We've got some seemingly impossible things that are recorded. It begins with an empty tomb on Easter Sunday, and it carries right on through until ascension and the disappearance of Jesus shrouded in a cloud. If it really was 40 days, and we need to remember that 40 days is kind of biblical code for quite a long time, then we actually know very little about what happens in that time. There are a few appearances on the day of resurrection or thereabouts, and actually pretty much silence after that second Sunday that John records when Thomas encountered Jesus until Ascension Day. So roughly a month in which we know nothing. Whether these are literal events accurately recorded or whether we see them as symbolic or parabolic stories, if you like, or whether we just don't know, it's clearly the case that they were important to the early followers of Jesus. And rather than us getting into unhelpful debates about historicity, did it really happen, or the plausibility, is it possible, which we can never actually prove one way or other, maybe it makes sense to have a kind of so what question at the back of our mind. What difference does it make that we have these stories? What difference does it make to hear them and reflect on them? Is there something worth holding on to that's recorded? Nowadays, most people believe that the world is roughly Earth, is roughly spherical, and that it orbits the sun. So the sun can go up and down without moving. Most people believe we're part of a vast universe. But thousands of years ago, that wasn't the case. And this is an artist's impression of the kind of worldview that people might have had when Jesus lived. It's certainly the kind of description we have in the Genesis stories about the beginnings of the earth and the whole of creation. Most people would have believed that there was a dome shape um, 
sky above the, the earth, and then there was the water above the heavens, if you remember your Genesis, and beyond that was heaven, that was the dwelling place of God. And under the earth was Sheol, which was usually a, uh, seen as a kind of a shadowy underworld, and then came caught up with the um, ideas of Hades and hell, which came from non-Jewish worldviews. We know that. You don't need me to tell you it, but it's good to remind ourselves of that when we approach these stories of the ascension. Because it would have made perfect sense for people back then to think of Jesus going up. But that doesn't work in our contemporary post-Copernican cosmology. I think I must have swallowed a dictionary when I wrote this. Back in the day, Jesus had to go up to heaven, to go sideways or down or who knows where, wouldn't have made any sense for them. As I already mentioned, the gospel record is really sketchy about what happens between the resurrection and the ascension. But we do seem to have a Jesus who could appear out of nowhere and disappear just as easily. We have a lot of silence, and then we have two out of the four gospel writers, which is interesting of itself that it is only two, who talk about a final meeting with Jesus, in which he gave them instructions for the work they were to carry on. Matthew and Luke both give us ascension stories. Mark and John don't. Maybe that's worth thinking about another time. Before his death, Jesus had worked really hard to prepare his closest followers for life without him. And I think that those words with which we began the story and to which we've already made reference in the altogether bit from the Gospel of John are really beautiful and helpful. Jesus said, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. And of course they couldn't understand that when he said it to them. But perhaps now, as he goes home, they begin to make sense of it. Perhaps you can also recall the encounter that Mary of Magdala had with Jesus on the day of resurrection. And he said, don't cling to me, or you've got to let me go. In those moments, of course, she was left distraught. She wanted to hold on to him. But perhaps now has come a time when she's able to do so. They all have to let go of the physical Jesus. And they understand that as him going up, returning home, and leaving them to carry on the work on earth. I tried to think what might be a kind of ascension image that would work for us nowadays. And I have to confess, I had to turn to popular science fiction drama. Perhaps the cloud is a TARDIS. Jesus goes into the TARDIS and off he goes, back to heaven. Or maybe it's that Star Trek image of the transmat beam and the people who pixelate as they leave one place to be reformed in another. These in themselves are stories and symbols of things that we can't understand. But perhaps that's one way that we can make a little bit of sense of the ascension, that in some way Jesus, who is not just of our realm, leaves to return to his own realm. 
whatever the images are and whether we find them helpful or not, we still have the same truth as the disciples did. Jesus has gone on ahead of us to get ready for when we join him and he has left us instructions which include going out. Over the years, I have heard an awful lot of sermons and participated in goodness knows how many Bible studies that look at the Great Commission in Matthew and the parallel in Luke and Acts. Their readings at one level are really uncomplicated. Go and do this. And they're incredibly challenging. In these stories, Jesus hands on his work to his very frail human followers. And what they've got to do is quite clear. And in the reading we heard from Wendy, they are to witness for him, first of all in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and on to the ends of the world. Start where you are, go to people who are like you, and to people who are not like you, and then eventually go on to places you haven't even heard about, and where people haven't heard about Jesus. Now, we know that. We've heard it hundreds of times. But we also know it isn't so easy to do it. As already said, last week I was up in Drumnadrocket, or just outside Drumnadrocket, doing the wedding for Merritt and Tom, and it was a great weekend. I had a lovely time. Met all kinds of interesting people. I met some of Merritt's family who are very devout Christians, and I met some of Marit and Tom's friends who would use all sorts of other descriptions to describe themselves, but Christian probably wouldn't be one of them. And there I was, in my dog collar, the official Christian presence. And I did have a thought going through my mind. How do I be a good witness for Jesus in this context? Because actually the things I didn't say were just as important as the things I did say. And how I behaved was important as what I did or didn't do. You are my witness in this context, this place, this time. It isn't always easy. I had lots of lovely compliments from people at the wedding, so I think I got away with it. But maybe that's it. We kind of feel like we have to get away with it. It's, it's scary to be that official Christian presence, wherever we are. Also this week, I was in Larbert in Karen Vale, as I'm part of the Baptist Union of Scotland Board of Ministry. Great privilege where we get to interview people who are seeking accreditation as Baptist ministers. And there's one exercise within this which certainly divides people. Some people love it and some people hate it. Nobody goes, well, it's just a thing. And what they have to do is take part in a role play where three of the board members, three people, take the role of people who are not part of a church and possibly people who are a little bit anti-church or don't know anything about church. And it's a kind of question-answer thing. And, and this time it took the phone of a form of a radio phone in, but it takes different forms. And we put them on the spot. How are you going to react in this situation when somebody asks you questions about your faith? This time, 
the person we were interviewing was very honest when we were feeding when he was feeding back to us. He said, you know, I really struggled with this because I kind of thought you had an answer in your head that you wanted me to say, but I wanted to be me. I wanted to talk to these people and to behave as I would. And I think that's a real tension for many of us that we when somebody talks to us about faith or asks us a question, well, I get quite defensive and I, I worry about what I'm going to say and will it be heard the wrong way and will I offend them and will I put them off Jesus for life? And actually, I might be trying to answer a question they're not even thinking about. How do we be witnesses for Jesus? It's hard. It's scary. I think the key is be yourself. Be authentically you and share the story and answer the questions as you understand it and leave the rest to God because actually that's God's job, not ours. God told, so Jesus told his followers to go out. But hidden away in that text, and it's so easily missed, is kind of a not yet. He says, wait here a little bit longer because you need God's help to do this. It's a recognition, I think, that being effective witnesses needs more than us to say, oh, we've got to go and do it because God's told us to do it. And it needs more than, yay, I'm really excited about Jesus, I'm going to get out there. Actually, it needs us to think about it. Think about what it is that's been entrusted to us. Think about what we're good at, what we're not so good at, who we are, how we are. And actually, we need to be able to keep that on. We don't want to just be like a firework that goes off in a great and is burned out. But rather, we need to be able to carry on. It's only if we are able to carry on that the work of witness can continue outwards, geographically, but also onwards through time. 2,000 years, roughly, since the events we read about, and people have gone on witnessing for Jesus. If I can go back to the Board of Ministry interviews this week, there are lots of different areas we explore with people, not just how they relate to people who are not part of churches. But we also ask questions about their personality, their gifts and their skills. Who are you? What do you think you're good at? What do you think you're not very good at? And then questions about their spirituality and their development. How will they resource themselves? How will they keep themselves going for the long haul? Because trust me, ministry can be exhausting and ministers do burn out. Really important questions, not just for those who want to be ministers, but also for those of us who are trying to follow Jesus. Over the summer this year, we're going to have a look at different aspects of spirituality, because that's a huge topic. But today, very briefly, I want to pick up on something that came up in one of those interviews. It just happened magically, or Holy Spiritly, to connect with one of the readings I'd already chosen. I have preached more times than enough, and you're probably sick of it, on Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, the image of the church as a body in which every member matters. I've also preached an awful lot of time, and you're probably also fed up of this one, from Galatians chapter 3, about the equity we have in Christ that transcends all human c categories. 
that race disappears, that nationality disappears, that, that status and gender, they're just not important within Christ. And for the best part of a decade, I, I've tried to celebrate the diversity we already have within our church, to assure and reassure people that God delights in us as we are and wants us to flourish. Perhaps less often, I've thought, stopped to focus on how we employ that diversity. I chose the reason, reading from Ephesians chapter 4 because it very explicitly links the ongoing ministry of the church to Jesus' ascension. Just suddenly, in the middle of this, it says, Jesus came down and Jesus went up. Oh, and by the way, this is what you should be doing. It's a reminder to us were one needed, and it probably isn't, that the church is the body of Christ. And it's to this diverse assortment of people that the work of ministry and mission is entrusted. So, yeah, there was one of those hmm moments that I occasionally have when I was interviewing one of the people who's at the end of his pre-accredited period. And he spoke about what he calls the APEST ministry. This is a five-fold view of ministry that's derived from Ephesians chapter 4, the reading we just heard, and it's been made popular by an Australian theologian called Alan Hirsch. So he says there are people who are apostles, people who are prophets, people who are evangelists, people who are shepherds or pastors, and people who are teachers. And if you take the initial letters of that, it spells out apest. I'm sure I'm apest, but that is... One word. I also found something when I was looking around online that I think is quite helpful in fleshing that out. Um, this is also written by Alan Hirsch. Hirsch, can you just take one of the back? Um, and what he does for each of the roles is he gives a, a sort of description of them. And then, if you've got a good memory from a couple of weeks ago when we were doing our letters to the church, he has a but. These people are really important. They bring this to the church. However, if that's all you've got, and that's the only way you are, then it's not particularly healthy for the church. And so he does it in a way that reminds us that we need all five of these different roles. Actually, some people say there are four. Because if you're a really good Greek scholar, you find that shepherds or pastors and teachers are together with an and. It will say there are apostles, there are prophets, there are evangelists, there are shepherds and teachers. And traditionally, the church has seen the clergy, the ministers, as the shepherds and teachers, pastor teachers, and farmed out the others to other people. One of the things that struck me as I was reading this was actually, these relate to characteristics within a church as much as they might do to any individual within a church. And I preferred adjectives, adverbs, even the odd verby type thing, to the noun. So an apostolic aspect, a prophetic aspect, an evangelistic aspect a shepherding or pastoral, a teaching or didactic aspect. Within our community, there are people who have any or all of those specific gifts or leanings, but they need to be employed within an overall arch 
uh, overarching sorry, view of the community. And what I really liked about this thing that I've handed out to you is it points out that no one gift is superior or inferior to the others. It's a really Baptist thing, but you know, sometimes we forget that the minister is just one among others. Minister is not over. <coughs> the minister is set aside for a specific role. And everybody has something to contribute with that. On the other side of that sheet, I put up um, the, the covenant that we used, have used on and off over the years I've been here. And actually, in the induction service, nearly 10 years ago, part of the service we used was focused on these core values. That we aspire to be a community that's worshipping, that's inclusive, that's missional or missionary, that is prophetic and sacrificial. And I found myself thinking, that's really interesting. I have two lists here with five things on them. How do I hold those together? How does the APEST idea and the WIMPs idea relate? What's the same? What's different? What overlaps? How do they inform each other and help each other? How do they help us as a community of people trying to follow Jesus to do our bit in going on, sharing the story of Jesus. We're coming to the end of the academic year, and we're all tired. So I'm not going to try and stir you up into doing loads of things. Absolutely not. But maybe the summer gives us some time to do some resting and reflecting. And maybe we could think about some of these. Where do I fit in this? What is the, the unique gift, the unique skill, the unique personality trait that I have that relates to some of this? And how do I share that within this faith community as we seek to be witnesses to Jesus here in Glasgow, in the everyday lives amongst the people we know, in the situations where we meet people we don't know and perhaps are different from us. And in our commitment to sharing the gospel throughout the whole world. I leave you with that question. And we'll sing again. Praise with joy the world's creator.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us pray. Creator God, we come to offer you up our prayers in the knowledge that through your blessed Son, who dwelt among us as a human being and then ascended back into your presence, you understand fully our hopes, our joys, our fears and sorrows. We pray for our world, made imperfect by greed, ignorance and carelessness. Help support those who can correct the damage done to halt disastrous climate change, which affects the poorest of the poor most, in ruined crops, floods and avalanches. Open the eyes of those in authority to judge between short-term material prosperity and the consequences for the future, we pray. We pray for the politicians who govern our earthly lives. In particular, we ask that you give peace of mind to Theresa May, who seems to have been offered up as a scapegoat on the altar of the failed Brexit vision, which was advertised as a way to restoring the Great Britain of yore and instead has exposed those days are long gone and it is likely will never come again. Give hope to us, we pray, that out of the wilderness will come a politician of integrity and skill who can lead us into a new vision of prosperity, whether it is in or out of the European Union. This we pray. We pray for people who seem unappreciated and underpaid in a world beguiled by overappreciated and overpaid so-called celebrities whose fame is as fleeting as that of a moth near a flame. I speak of health workers in all fields, both care homes and hospitals, from medical staff to caterers and cleaners. Let them know we know their true value, as do you, Creator God. This we pray. I speak also of dedicated teachers beset with difficulties from ever-changing new fads in education, disrespect and violence in their schools, and interference from some foolish parents. Teachers steadfastly preparing our young for a future which may be more difficult and complicated than our own present. Give them strength to bear this heavy load, we pray. We pray for the forces designed to protect us in our homes and cities. The police, the fire service and the army whose work is becoming more and more intertwined in these days of random terrorism. Give them a strong sense of justice and fairness to all in the face of provocation, we pray. We pray for our people in villages, towns and cities in an economy based on constant cutbacks to essential services. Again, it is the poor who suffer most. The poor are always with us, quoted our Lord Jesus. But do we also have to put up with the mega-rich, so insulated by their wealth, 
they do not see the beggars formerly at their gates are increasing in number and drawing nearer and nearer to the mansion walls. Open the hearts of those who can give increased financial benevolence, we pray. We pray for those in a technological age whose skills are based in their hands more than their minds. Give them worthy labour that will sustain their feelings of self-worth. This we pray. We pray for the homeless, the sick in mind and spirit, the used and abused, the lost and lonely of our world, that they may find organisations which can help restore them to a better life. This we pray. We pray for two of our Baptist fellow churches, for Dumbarton Parish Church, who would love people to pray for the growth of their prospects group, which helps people with learning disabilities. For Drumchapel Baptist Church, who pray a man's sale and the transfer to becoming an SC10 will happen in a timely manner. Give thanks that this church feels it has experienced a powerful encounter with God as they have prayed for each other to know and discern the will of God in these matters. For them both we pray they are aware of your loving support, God of love. Finally, we pray for our ain folk, for our elderly and for our young, for those who keep the wheels of our church bus going round and round, for our minister inspiring us at the wheel, for all in this church as it continues, despite many a pothole on the way, resolutely heading down the road towards the prospect of new premises. Meanwhile, our congregation, though tired and weary of so many disappointments, clings together, united in hope and faith that your will in this matter, whatever that is, will be done. We pray for patience and acceptance of what is to come. Creator God, your ascended Son showed us your face and your love in a way we can understand. Not just the burning bush, the rushing wind or the significant silence, but the man willing to sacrifice himself on a cross for our salvation. Let us be worthy of that sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise the Lord. Amen.
loving God who meets us in Jesus, shares our life and draws us on towards the place that you have prepared for us. Accept these are gifts of money and accept the gifts of ourselves, the things we can do and the people we are, that all may be employed to keep on going out and going on sharing the good news. Amen. And so our closing hymn, Love Divine or Love's Excelling, Joy of Heaven from Earth Come Down. If you're able, you're invited to stand as we sing.
redeeming and sustaining all that was, all that is, and all that ever will be. As we leave this place to serve you in the world, may we be assured that you go with us now and always. Mm -hmm.